Help us, O God of love, to welcome Jesus into the whole of our lives. Amen. On what authority are you doing this? That's a question that most of us have probably asked or been asked. We live in a society that has trained us to value autonomy above pretty much everything else. The right to self-determination is written into our psyches. We see ourselves as the consumers who have the power of choice, as directors who have the power of control, as constituents who have the power of a vote. And while autonomy is not necessarily a bad thing, it's also an illusion, because the harsh reality is we are not really in control. Where this becomes an issue is when we think about the question of authority as it relates to our faith. Is religion something that we choose or does God first choose us? Do we come to faith on our own authority or on the authority of the Holy Spirit? Do we decide what we believe or are our beliefs given to us as the results of our DNA, experiences, and culture? I know it's fashionable in our society to talk about the importance of autonomy and free will. The rights of the individual are generally seen as something sacrosanct. So if I were to suggest that none of us really have free will, I'm sure many of you would disagree, maybe even rather strongly. Our response to being told that we are not truly in charge of our actions and decisions is quite often belligerent and hostile. But many philosophers, theologians, psychologists, and brain scientists, they're not so sure about free will. Now, my aim this morning is not to convince you about something related to neurology or philosophy. Instead, I want to speak to those places where you feel stuck, those issues where you feel bound up by something bigger than you, those problems beyond your ability to solve. To do this, we need to open our imaginations as we interpret the passage we heard from Mark. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, where they encountered a man possessed by a demonic spirit, which Jesus exorcised. Now, there might be a few of us who hear this story and think, yeah, that sounds just like what Jesus would do. But many more of us think, how quaint. For most of us, we do not live in a world in which we worry about demon possession. Rather, we worry about those who worry about demon possession. <laughs> Unclean spirits normally don't make the list when we try to diagnose a problem. And so our first interpretive move when we run into a story like this one is to demythologize it. We say something like, well, you know, they were doing the best they could but they didn't know about schizophrenia, epilepsy, PTSD, or dementia. So instead of giving this guy a medical diagnosis, they just called it a demon. But now we know better than to be so superstitious as, is, as to believe in unclean spirits 
We don't need a miracle because we have medicine. In his excellent formation hour last week, Trevor Eppheimer talked about chronological snobbery. The idea that we are the enlightened ones and those in previous generations are trapped in their ignorance. Yes, I am quite thankful for the advances that we have in science and medicine. But it's also true that we have forgotten things that our ancestors knew very well. We have become closed off to wisdom that is deeper than a microscope or telescope can ever find. So instead of explaining away what's happening in this exorcism, let's consider, even if it's just for the next couple of minutes, what it would mean that Jesus cast out an unclean spirit from this man. Because even if we don't believe in ghosts, goblins, or demons, we all remain haunted by things that we cannot explain or solve. As is only going to become more and more obvious until November, we are plagued by division and intractable partisanship. I would call the current state of affairs an unclean spirit. The line between propaganda and journalism has been blurred with devilish consequences. We are haunted by our regrets, our past, our traumas, our sins. Our society grapples with the demonic realities of warfare, racism, and poverty. Many people suffer in the grips of addiction, depression, and illness. What is a demon other than something that is bigger than us? Something that has control over us, that is beyond our ability to make it go away. Because if we reduce everything down to pathology, we will be limited by the limits of politics and medicine. But if we see Jesus as an exorcist, as the Messiah who contends with the dragons that we cannot slay, with issues we cannot even fully comprehend, with truths that we are not ready to face, with problems that we cannot overcome, well then, the peace and healing that God desires for each of us and all of us together becomes possible. It becomes something that we can actually hope for and pray for. To be very clear about this, I am not at all suggesting that the solution to cancer or racism is just praying more or pretending to believe in things that we don't actually think are true. Self-delusion is not the goal of faith. Instead, the goal of faith is participating in what God is up to in Jesus. And in Jesus, God is working to make all things well. A wellness that is bigger than our brokenness, a wellness that is more authoritative than our beliefs or our doubts. And because of Jesus, we know that God desires our flourishing and our forgiveness. All of those things that stand between us and the peace of God can be understood as things that are unclean and demonic, whether it's an illness, our sins, or our broken and imperfect relationships. Jesus has authority over all things, even the things we do not have authority over. Jesus can heal what we cannot. 
The question is whether or not we will allow his word of peace to be spoken into our brokenness. Will our minds remain closed off? Will our imagination remain captive to those demonic doubts as we limit what is possible for God? It's important, as Mark tells the good news of Jesus, that Jesus' first act is this exorcism. We begin the story of Jesus not with a teaching, not a healing or a sermon, but the banishing of a demon. It shows us that Jesus has burst onto the scene to do for us what we would never be able to do for ourselves, to free us from those evils that hold us captive. Jesus comes and crosses every boundary of expectation to make it clear he is the authority of all things. And this unclean spirit asks Jesus a question that if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, we have all asked of Jesus. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Another way to translate the question would be, what do we have in common? Where is the boundary between us? And Jesus makes it clear that the answer to that question is we have everything in common and there is no boundary between us. There is no limit when it comes to Jesus' power, mission, mercy, or grace. But we still ask the question, what does Jesus have to do with how we cast our vote? What does Jesus have to do with how we spend our money? What does Jesus have to do with how we treat others? What does Jesus have to do with how I choose to spend my Sunday morning? We like to be the authority when it comes to our budgets, priorities, relationships, and calendars. Most are not interested in a religion that has authority over us, that makes a claim on us, that touches all aspects of our lives. Interviews and studies show that most people look to religion for the benefits that they get out of it, community, moral formation, and a sense of peace. Those are good things. I hope everyone comes and sees those things in faith. The faith of Jesus, though, is not about what we get out of Christianity. It's about how far we let the grace of God into our lives. Are we ready to lay down our claim that we are our own masters, that we are the authority, and instead have Jesus speak a word of peace and liberation into all of those places of our lives. Because the brokenness that we all carry, it's deep down in us. The demons that plague us, they have dug in. A moderated religion is not good for very much. A religion that has no place for admitting that we are overwhelmed, that we are powerless, and that our lives have become unmanageable on our own is not a religion that can free us from the demons that haunt us. Centuries ago, a theologian said, what he has not taken on cannot be healed, but that which is united to God is saved. Meaning the healing grace of Jesus will come to all those places that he touches. But in those places where we say to Jesus, you have no authority here, or we ask, what do you have to do with us? 
Well, I'm not saying that Jesus won't go ahead and still heal us. It's just we might reject it as we confuse the medicine for the ailment, the doctor for the demon, the solution for the problem. As far as how we do this, how do we give that authority to Jesus? How do we participate in the wellness of God? We need to be quiet. Notice that Jesus and this demon, they don't struggle with one another. There's no fighting, no debating, no wrangling. The demon knows that Jesus has full and final authority. When Jesus confronts the evil and the demons that hold us captive, he does so standing before an already defeated enemy who knows its own defeat. Jesus has overcome sin and death, and there is no place that the love of God will not go to redeem us. Jesus shows us this by coming into our humanity, by confronting the depths of our sin, by being crucified and going into the coldness of a tomb. But love, by definition, cannot be defeated. Love always wins. And so on the third day, Jesus rose with all power and authority to make all things well. That's why Jesus doesn't struggle with this demon, because he knows his authority. He knows he is the Lord of all. And so Jesus simply says, be silent and come out of him. Be silent. We are such noisy people, always rushing to say our piece, to share our solutions, to shout over one another to be the authority. Jesus tells us to be quiet. Be quiet so we can hear him speak, so that we can hear that call of belovedness, of forgiveness, of peace. Be quiet so that we can stop asking questions like, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? Stop telling other people why they are wrong and we are right. Our world is just so noisy. We would all do well to speak less so that we can listen more, so that we can stop deluding ourselves into thinking that we are the solution. And then Jesus tells the unclean spirit to come out. Can we welcome Jesus to speak to those unclean places in our lives and society? The first step is to admit that we all have demons to exercise, unclean things that need to come out. Can we admit to ourselves and to God, I really didn't handle that well. I was meaner than I needed to be. I assumed I knew the full story before I reacted. I didn't give them the benefit of the doubt before I jumped on them. I was not as generous as I might have been. Can we name our fears, our mistakes, our prejudices as the demons that they are, as things that hold us captive, things that have authority over our thoughts, and actions. When Jesus speaks that word of grace into our brokenness, come out of him, come out of her. Will we cling on to those demons because we don't want anyone to see that they were inside of us? Because we've become so accustomed to them being there that we don't want to figure out how to live without them? 
Will we welcome Jesus to meddle in our lives? Not just parts of them, but the whole thing. We are not in control of our lives as much as we like to think we are. But thanks be to God, what is in control of our life? It is not chaos. It is not brokenness. It is not the demonic. Rather, the final authority over all of us is the peace of God which passes all understanding. Let's be quiet and listen. Listen.